0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. 41 we're in Jonah. He gets on the boat, right? Okay, is it on? A... Okay. Thing two, Jonah's in the boat. Maya talked on this for us. Okay, today we're going to talk about Jonah's at the bottom of the sea. So that's what we're going to be talking on today. Before we go any further, I want to say something that's going to be pretty integral for what we're going to talk about tonight. There is no such thing as absolute freedom. Okay, and I want to say that to every one of you who's in this room tonight, right? There's no such thing as absolute freedom because what happens is if you become the master of your fate, if you become the captain of your soul and you shed off all external controls and all external regulations, you're still a slave to one person. And who is that person? Yourself, okay? Your sin, yourself, whatever's going on inside here, right, becomes your master. And the Bible's very clear about that, right? Right? You are a servant to that which you you follow, which you work after, becomes your master, right? There's no such thing as freedom. And uh, I remember reading or actually listening to a pastor this week talk about Jonah on the boat, right? And if you were here for uh, week one and week two, we talked about how Jonah is just in rebellion right, to what God has asked him to do, right? Jonah has taken off the chains. He's taken off the shackles. The wind's running through his hair. The breeze is at his back, you know, and he's in the ship, and he is going running away from God, right? And that's what's going on, right? He feels free, but now reality catches up with him as reality catches up with each one of us, and now he is at the bottom of the ocean, right? He's in the stomach of a whale, Um, and so I think we should talk about this. Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Okay, so that's what my Bible says. I don't know about you guys, you know, but mine says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay. Um, scientifically, is it possible that a fish, like a whale, could swallow Jonah and that Jonah could be in his stomach? Yes, yes okay. A blue whale, I just did some funny uh, research. Um, As everyone knows, a blue whale is the largest creature to ever have existed on this planet. Its first stomach can hold up to 2,200 pounds of food, right? So Jonah's probably not 2,200 pounds, unless there's another problem going on. So it is ostensibly possible, right, that Jonah was in the stomach of the whale. How did he breathe? How is there oxygen? How is all this stuff? I don't know. Okay, don't ask me because I don't know. Um, but I do know this, if God is capable of sending a storm on the ocean, right, we believe that, if God is capable of feeding 5,000 people from a couple loaves and fish, and if God is capable of raising his own son from the dead, right, uh, I think making a guy survive in a fish for a couple days isn't like really difficult for him, right? For me, has a lot more faith to believe that a guy actually rose from the dead. He's, and then he's okay now, right? That's a lot more faith than for me to believe that a guy survived in the fish for three days and three nights. So let's keep that. We're gonna start... If you look in your Bibles, I don't know how many of you have your Bibles. If you look in your Bibles, chapter one, three, and four are in what a style called narrative, right? It's a story. If you look at chapter two in your Bibles, it looks a lot different, right? This is because Jonah is writing a poem in the belly of the fish. I don't know about how many of you, but whenever I'm swallowed by fish, my first thought doesn't go to like I should write a poem, right? That sounds logical. Um, but that was Jonah. So He's like I'm going to write a poem. So he is in this fish, right? writing a poem about God. And this poem is what we're going to go through today. And we're going to start with verses one through two. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Right? It's right up there. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Um, So this is structured differently. This is a poem. So with poems, we're going to get a lot more crazy stuff that none of you like to talk about, like uh, simile, and metaphor, and imagery, and illusion, and things like that, right? And uh, look at Jonah, what he's saying. I called out to the Lord, and out of my stress, he answered me. Out of the belly, get it? Because he's in the fish's stomach, okay? Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and he heard my voice. Now, Sheol is the Old Testament word for hell, right? If you really want to get metaphysical with it, we can talk about what the Old Testament hell was like to the New Testament hell, how they're different, how they're the same if you want. I don't care about that, but if you want to talk, we can talk. But listen, out of the belly of shale I cried and you heard my voice. Jonah, in our 21st century translation, would be saying, I'm in hell right now, right? That's what he's saying. This feels like hell. I'm in hell. The belly of shale, right? The belly of hell. And in this poem, he's saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, right? If you'd been swallowed by a fish, you'd be having a pretty bad day too, right? So is Jonah. I called to the Lord out of my distress, And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Um, And the first point that we're going to point here today is because Jonah is in this situation, why? Is he in this situation because of God, or is he in this situation because of himself? He's in this situation because of himself. And so we're going to go to our first point, far is never too far, okay? Far is never far enough. There is no place that you can go where you're too far for God to reach you. And that was the case for Jonah, that was the case for Peter, and that is the case for every single person in this room today, right? It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you are, as a Christian or not a Christian, you don't know what a Christian is, doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, far is never far enough. Far is never too far, right? And Jonah says this here, right? Out of my distress, out of the belly of shale, I cried, right? If we're talking physical locations, right? And there's Mount Everest and there's earth. Hell is as low as you can get, right? Heaven is as high as you can get, Jonah is like, you still are hearing my voice right there. Not to belabor that point, but in Psalm 139, 7-8, which is the next slide, we already talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit, right? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there, like that. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there, right? If I am in hell, God can find me. God's after me. Why? Because far is never too far enough. Far is never too far. And it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're running away from or what you've told God you don't want to do, whatever that is. I was talking with someone on the phone today. I was at lunch break and I called someone on the phone. And uh, this person said to me, I know exactly what God's calling me to do. I just don't want to do it. And you know what I said to them? I said, I feel like that 90% of the time. <laughs> I know exactly what God's asking me to do. It's just you don't want to do it. Why? Because I'm under the illusory idea that my freedom is the, I can actually live in my own freedom. That my freedom, my idea, what I think is best for my life is actually what's best for my life. And when we talked in the car, it it was like one of those things where we had to realize, like, listen, God knows what's best for us. God is chasing after us. And you're never too far away from a place for him not to reach you. Um, And Jonah knows that he can't run from the presence of God. And neither can we. Um, and let's go to verses three. It says, now look, this is going to be so good poetry, you'll love it. For you cast me into the deep. Oh, your Calvinists are like, oh. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. You like all this watery analogy, you know? I wonder why he was making poems like that. Cast me into the deep and the heart of the seas and the flood and the waves and the billows. And Jonah is surrounded. It's just watery. However, this psalm or this poem that Jonah is writing can always be figuratively to us applied. Um, And I don't want to go too far with this, so I'll just go a little bit. Um, Whenever you're running away from God, right? And I don't know where you're at. I mean, I think all of us at one time in our lives have run away from what we think God's calling us to. I don't care who you are um, I've done that you've done that my friends have done that everybody that I know has at one point or another thought that they knew it was best for their life they're running away from God um, and in these moments um, this is what it feels like it feels like we are surrounded we're drowning you know that Kodak Black song I'm drowning you know it's like that <laughs> you didn't expect the Kodak reference so I get around you know <clears throat> this this guy here is drowning right He's trying to, like, get his head, he's trying to catch a breath, and he can't. And you have this whole poetic, you know, analogy here of just inundated, right? He's just, he can't get up. He can't get free. Um, and so we have to think about that. Like, Jonah was after the illusory idea of his own freedom, right? He thought he knew what was best for his life, um, and yet here he is, right, exactly where he wanted to be, exactly away from God. It was his idea to throw himself over the boat. He's exactly where he wants to be and he's not happy with the situation and he's not happy with where, where he's put himself. Um, and his rebellion has cast him into this situation and we always realize that this person who's still at the helm of the ship, the person who's still directing this whole thing is God. We see it here, for you cast me into the deep. Now, did God cast Jonah into the deep? Yes, wow, is so smart. Now, did Jonah put himself in the deep? Yes, oh, you guys like that one. No no, no one likes the God one, but they all like the person one. Um, but God is the one who was putting Jonah because of Jonah's own sin, right? And there's this weird, like, nature of the fact that as we're doing things, God is doing things too. Or God has a plan that we're ascribing to as well. And I'm not going to talk about that. Suffice to say that God is always very aware of where you are and what you're doing, this is really important, um, because, and I don't want to spoil the rest for whoever's teaching, you know, for the rest of the weeks. But Jonah's heart here is not 100% pure. How many of you have made a prayer request to God that you're later, you're like, "Thank God that didn't happen," right? You, well, thank you for the hand raise. You don't have to raise your hands. Please don't. <laughs> I think there's a country song that every pastor likes to talk about. I thank God for an unanswered prayers that some country hobo sang. Um, <laughs> But that's how it is, right? The unanswered prayers that you have in your lives, you're praying to God. and asking him for these things. And all of a sudden, you realize you don't need them. Why? Because you don't know anything, right? And you think that you want this, and you think you want this to happen. And all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, I'm really happy I'm not here. Um, and, this, and we realize in Job, listen to what Job says here in Job thirteen fifteen: Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Though he slay me, who's slaying Job? God. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Right? And Job is in this horrible time right now where he doesn't know why he's suffering. Right? And he doesn't know why he's suffering, but he's suffering. And he says, though he slay me, though God will slay me, I will hope in him. And that's a really important point because Job is counting on the character of God to rescue him from a situation, even though it doesn't feel like that, right? If you're being slain, you're like, I'm feeling great. You know, I feel slain, but it's been great. No, you know, you're having a bad time. Though he's slaying me, I will hope in him. And Job is saying here, though this situation sucks, I count on the character of God. I mean, their hope is convinced. Um, And there's so much about Jonah's heart that I want to talk about. Like I said, we can't because it would spoil it. But Jonah's heart isn't pure, right? Jonah doesn't know exactly what he wants. And he thinks he does, but he doesn't. He thinks he's praying for something. God, I want to serve you again. We'll realize that's not really where his heart's at, but he thinks he does, right? But what we realize is that, and this is the next slide, and some of you will hate this. I don't care. Oh, no, maybe it's the next one. There it is. Ignorant is never too ignorant, okay? And a lot of you are like, oh, I don't don't like that. I don't care. Um, What I mean by this is that you are never too dumb for God to see through what you're praying about, right? Or you're never too out of the loop for God to use you, right? How many of you have misread a social situation where you come in, you're having a great time, and then all of a sudden you're like, this is not what this was about at all. Now I want to see your hands. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Right? Why? Because you assume something that's not the case, right? You think something's true that's not the case. And so what would happen if God answered every single one of your prayers literally? Your life would be a wreck, right? Why? Because you're ignorant, because you don't know. Ignorant actually comes from the Latin ignoramus, which just means we don't know. We don't know, right? I don't know anything. But you not knowing anything is not a what is it, us, it doesn't preclude you from God's grace, right? You being not understanding the plan of God or the will of God in your life doesn't mean that God's not going to intervene in your situation. And how that works here is I think that there's a lot of us who think that we have to have it all together before God starts listening to us. Dang God, I really want to serve you. I really want you to listen to what I have to say or, you know, I'm really sick of this relationship or this job or whatever, but I know I have this one sin issue that I can't enact, so that's probably why you don't aren't answering my prayer. That's fine, right? Um, God's not waiting for you to clean yourself up before he intervenes in your life right? God is always intervening in your life. And the truth is you're never going to clean yourself up to an acceptable standard where God would be happy with you apart from Jesus, apart from his sacrifice. So there's not a point here where God's waiting for Jonah to meet a litmus test of intelligence before Jonah approaches the throne of grace. Because listen, we'll read that I think that Jonah's character gets worse the second half of the story. Gets worse, right? He's been pretty bad. Gets worse the second half of the story, right? But we have this beautiful poem in the middle where Jonah's praying to God out of a heart of impure motives and, you know, just a wrong way of thinking about things, a wrong idea about the conviction that he's supposed to have, and yet God is going to answer his prayer, and that's a big deal. Um, It says in verse 4, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Um, the holy temple in the Old Testament is where God resided, right? You know, people come and say, oh, I couldn't go into church. I'd get vaporized, so I went in there. You know, why did they say that? Because they think God's presence is here. They think God would smite them if they walked into a church. Um, God doesn't live here, you know? It's not like he's paying us rent. It's not like we open the doors, like, you okay, God? Like, he doesn't live here, right? Um, but in the Old Testament, he lived in the temple, right? The holy temple is talking about, that's where God lived, right, in the holy of holies. And so Jonah said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. All he's saying there is that I want to meet God, I want to see God again. Um, and so that's important too. And we'll go to the uh, Romans 8 actually here too, 8, 28, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Right? So, here we have Jonah making this prayer, which I think he believes in his heart, but his heart is impure, right? He doesn't have good motives. He doesn't know what he's praying for. But Paul says in Romans, you don't know what you're praying for either, right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Translation, you don't, you're an idiot. You don't know what to pray for as you ought. Oh, you don't like that? I'm sorry. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, right? You don't know, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. With groanings too deep for words. So Jonah's here, and he's praying, and his heart is just this, beklempton, this like this dual nature thing that is not. You know, pure and following God. Maybe it's 75%, but it's not pure and following God. And yet God hears the heart behind Jonah's prayer. He sees the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, the frustration, the anger in Jonah's life. And he answers his prayer anyway. And uh, that's a big deal. Okay, now we'll go through verses 5 through 9, I think. 5 through 7. I can't read my handwriting. 5 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. This is what we would call resurrection language in Bible school, right? I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Now, did Jonah die in the whale? No, right? But the poem, the allegory, the, the way that the story goes, Jonah's like, and I was dead, right? I felt like I was dead. And yet, you brought me up, you brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord my God. That's resurrection language. Um, remember when I taught the first week, and I said Jonah went down to Joppa, and then Jonah went over to Tarshish, then Jonah goes down into the ship, and then down into the cabin, and then he gets thrown overboard, right? It's this whole story of just Jonah going down, 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 down it continues here the waters closed in over me to take my life right then the deep surrounded me then the weeds were wrapped about my head the weeds of the sea floor the seaweeds wrapped around his head then he's at the roots of the mountains right and then he's down to hell again whose bars closed upon me forever jonah goes down 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 all the way down at this moment it says yet you brought up my life from the pit and the lord brings jonah and places him right back where we started right Jonah is down, 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 down. And then at this moment, it says, yet you brought out my life from the pit. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Um, and this remembers, reminds us here, um, just the important fact here, that Jonah is sinking and sinking. Like we said, far is never too far. God saw him, and God lifted it up. In Matthew 28 here, this here too, 38 through 40, It'll say this on the screen pretty soon here. But um, this is Jesus talking about it. The scribes come up to Jesus and they say, "'Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you.' But Jesus said to them, "'An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, "'but no sign will be given to it "'except the sign of the prophet Jonah. "'For just as Jonah was three days and three nights "'in the belly of the great fish, "'so will the son of man be three days and three nights "'inside the belly of the earth.'" Clearly, Jesus saw Jonah's in his resurrection, you know, from the dead. Jonah goes from here to here. Jesus sees himself in that because he too was going to accomplish a mission from God. And he would die, but he would be raised up by the Father on the third day to save his people from his sins. That's a big deal. If you've come into this room and you feel like you were too far, you feel like you've gone too far, you feel like you don't know enough to be a Christian, or the church would vaporize if you walked in, or whatever it is, listen, Jesus died for you, for your sin, for this feeling that you're feeling, so that your life didn't have to feel the way it feels anymore, so that you could follow him and his journey to bring other people towards him. Jesus, this guy that we're talking about here, this God that we're talking about here, died for you so that you didn't have to feel this way, so that you didn't have to live in meaninglessness anymore. Um, and then we get to the gut kicker where Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that's a verse to chew on a little bit. I was like, what the heck does that mean? You know, sitting and trying to realize what it means. Those who pay regard to vain idols, right? So an idol is just something that you set up, something that you worship. Um, There's a quote by a guy who says, uh, our instinct for faith is bread. Like he says, like a well-bred border collie who instead of herding children, or instead of herding sheep will herd children or cats. He's like, so is our instinct for faith, right? You can't help but believe in something. And it says here, those who pay regard to vain idols, you've chosen to believe in something that's not God. Look at what Jonah calls it, vain, worthless, meaningless. And it can be anything. It can be, you know, your friends or your family or your significant other or your relationship or your school or your grades or your work, whatever. Anything you put above God, Jonah says, those who pay regard to those things, those who put those things in God's space, forsake their hope of steadfast love. That just gets me. Forsake it, right? It's like you look at what God has offered you. You look at the love that God has given to you, and you turn around, and you forsake it, and you go the opposite direction. Um, And listen, I'll be the first to tell you, and we could go up and everybody could tell you this probably. um, There is not one thing in this world that is going to love you forever, right? Not one thing that's going to love you forever, for every moment, every day, every eon, you know, you'll hear people say, you know, I like you, or I love you, but I don't like you. I've heard, you know, husbands and wives apparently say that to each other. It feels like abuse, kind of, but I'm, you know, I love you, I like you, love you, but I don't like you, you know. Listen, God likes you and God loves you all the time, Right? Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What is Jonah's assumption? That steadfast love is always offered to you, right? That love is always something that you are given by God. Just pouring it out on you, pouring it out on you, pouring it out on you. His love, his kindness, his faithfulness. And here Jonah is a horrible guy, a nightmare right? And God is there just pouring out his love on Jonah, pouring out his love on Jonah, pouring out his love on Jonah. And this whole story, and we'll see now, and we saw before, and we'll see later, that God is showing nothing but love to the Ninevites, to Jonah, to everyone. God is just showing love. And he says, Jonah here, in his one brief, brief moment of clarity, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that's a big deal, um, we would rather search for fake love and half commitment rather than the infinite joys offered us. Um, and that's just such a big big deal. In reality, God is so much better than these things that we trifle through. Um, and our third point here is you're just a step away. And what I mean by that is, you know, we may have forsaken steadfast love in the past. We may have searched after something that could fill us up, whatever that is, right? And you've all done that. You just raised your hands and told me. Right? But whatever you do, you can always turn around. Right? You're just a step away. I was going to say you're just a turn away, but that sounded like ballet-like, and I don't want to do that. You know, you're just a turn away. That's, that's all it is. Right? All it is is to look again upon the Lord right cuz he's never stopped loving you he's never stopped caring for you and your circumstance might be hard you might feel like you're in a storm you might feel like life sucks right now but god's never stopped loving you and god's using all these things for your good and for his glory if you just turn around just you are here if you just turn around god's always been there the whole time waiting for you just turn around stop forsaking the love of god offered and run to a god who loves you A.W. Tozer said this, how satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. That always sticks with me. How satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none, right? You're here and you're following something and you think it's what you want, you think it's what you want, and you're encumbered then by your sin, right? You're not absolutely free, you're encumbered by your sin, and you turn around and God is there, ready, willing, and able to love you. And then finally, in verse 9 through 10, we'll go through here too. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Funny. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Right? Now, Jonah is right back where he started, basically. (laughs) So chapter one, chapter two. We should have just started chapter three, right? Because it's the same thing. Jonah is right back where he started, right? But let's talk about his his uh, the end of the poem here. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. What a fascinating thing! Because as a prophet, you know he's vowed to the Lord. He's vowed to proclaim the oracles of God faithfully, and he says here, "What I have vowed, I will pay." Um, And we just realize here what kind of happens when your voice is there, your actions are there, but your heart's not. Um, And so come next week and we'll be talking about that for sure. But maybe you're here in here today and God, um, and you're just tired of running from God. And you're just tired of feeling like I'm going the opposite direction. Listen, you don't need to know enough to start following God again. You're never too far. It's not like you're in some relationship or you're too far where God can't hear you or God can't listen to you. Um, And you're just a step away, to turn around and realize that God has been here the whole time chasing after you. Um, Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're just so thankful that we have the opportunity, God, to be in here with each other. Um, We're thankful for the community that you've cultivated here. We're thankful for the friendships that we have. But God, we just pray that you would um, convict our hearts, Lord, tonight. Um, of all the times that we have run away from you, that we have turned the opposite direction, God, that we have made following you an intellectual game rather than a heart assignment. And we just pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, that you would forgive us and that you would show us that you are right there, that you've never turned away, that you've never turned aside, that your love is renewed every morning. And we're so thankful for who you are and we're thankful for the fact that we can count on your character even in the storms of our life, just like Jonah could even in the storm of his life. Um, We just love you, God, and we love you for this attributes of your character and in your son's name. Amen. Despite popular belief, good evening and thrive.